Greetings, friends. It's Will Meneker here with your weekly Chapo. Joining me, as always, is Amber Lee Frost. Howdy. Matt Christman. Hi. Brendan James. Hello. And our guest this week, now uh, joining the elite tier of two-time Chapo guests, <laughs> but for the first time in person, all the way from Ireland, Angela Nagel. Angela, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. We're having you, of course, because uh, to talk about your book, Kill All Normies, Online Culture Wars from 4chan and Tumblr to Trump and the Alt-Right, to do kind of a follow-up conversation uh, to the one we originally had with you uh, on the same topic, on the phenomenon of the sort of youth-led reactionary movement that is sort of the umbrella term of the alt-right, which describes these sort of various overlapping spheres of sort of youth-based reactionary thought. Do you think that's a fair way to describe it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always very difficult to speak about this uh, issue because, you know, they famously don't like to be conflated in any way with other really similar groups. <laughs> well, this is uh, one of my favorite points on our, on our original talk with you is you said that, like, you know, you can call them almost anything and they'll ignore it or they won't bother them but the thing that they get maddest at is being miscategorized yeah yeah, yeah. and like I sort of feel the same way when I see people uh, you know like showing up either in my mentions or online and they have like a, a classical sculpture as their avatar <laughs> or something and I always just want to be like are you the type of weirdo that wants to ethnically cleanse America or the type of weirdo that just wants the Catholic Church to rule it? Yeah. Or maybe both in most cases. The, uh, but the young male pedant is such a type, it doesn't even matter what the... <laughs> it's just like, actually, we're post-punk grindcore, dad. Did you see uh, some guys had written all these bad reviews on the Amazon page for the book? Oh, no, really? And it wasn't even out at the time. Um, yeah, they all like gave it one star and, and wrote reviews, but they're all like terrible. You know, there wasn't a single and one of them was like really mad in all caps and everything because I had mixed uh, 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 like uh, Greek and Latin or something like well, that. Well, they don't like mixing, generally. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it was their term, so I didn't even come up with it. But uh. th that's the level of stuff that I've got so far. It is not my term. I am not a neo-reactionary, ma'am. <laughs> I am an anarcho... techno-futurist. Well, Angela, I mean, like, we, we spoke to you only... A couple of months ago, I mean, it feels like forever because of how weird and fast uh, everything has been happening. But like specifically on this issue, things have gotten even weirder and dramatically fast. And by even weirder, I mean a series of actually terrifying murders mm. and acts of violence. Uh, probably most prominently and recently is the... Uh, two people that were killed on that train in Portland mm. by a guy who was screaming at some uh, women wearing a hijab. They tried to intervene and he cut both of their throats mm. screaming about, you know, free speech and he's a patriot and, you know, Muslims out of my country or whatever. But even before that, there was uh, a, someone at the university, a student at the University of Maryland who was a member of a Alt Reich Facebook group uh, just stabbed the black guy who wouldn't get out of his way randomly in New York. Uh, just only again a few months ago, a guy came, drove to the city all the way, I think from Georgia or somewhere. I'm probably wrong on that, but he did it. He came to New York City to kill a black man specifically in retaliation for miscegenation, and mm. he ended up stabbing a homeless man to death. Um, so, like, it's the the idea here being like that this stuff isn't just online anymore. Like there's been a series of like protests and skirmishes and things like that. But like this is not just online. That these, they've these are, left the basement. Yeah, mm. 
this is beginning to have real and terrifying consequences in the real world. And I guess my overall question is, how do you see the, 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 this, these people that you study, this kind of online youth-based reactionary movement, how do you see them like responding to this? Or do, do you see them as responsible for this? Or do you, like, like what part do you see them playing in these real-world acts of violence? Um, I mean, <clears throat> I guess I do see them as being responsible for it because the thing is, you know, um, all of their political goals uh, would involve violence on a massive scale. So I don't see why they would disown one particular case of violence when they're advocating something that would be that times millions, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, so I don't see why they would be kind of uh, coy about uh, something like that. But uh, and they're not privately when they're in anonymous forums and stuff like that. They always think these things are pretty funny, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, but that coyness, though, as, as I've been sort of trying to follow or, or, or make sense of this, that, that coyness is definitely certainly there now in that, at least in the public-facing side of it, or at least as far as the alt-light, as you've described them, these sort of the self-promoting media figures who have you know, ridden uh, the coattails of this movement to promote themselves and sell brain pills online or mm -hmm. you know, expand their media brand, uh, would very much like to disown a figure like Jeremy Christian, the guy who murdered those two people in Portland, be for a variety of reasons. They said that he was simply mentally ill. They had ex you know, expelled him from another one of their marches. He had Facebook posts that seemed to be uh, supportive of Bernie Sanders in the primary, or that, you know, this idea that, oh, well, n none of this are, are really us. These are just crazy people. You know, we're not violent. We're not like that. But then, as you said, it doesn't take long to go into Chan or Paul or any of these forums to find the anonymous people happily cheering this on mm -hmm. and saying that, you know, this guy did exactly what, you know, we should all be doing if we were so lucky or brave enough. Mm, what was I'm so fucked up about that dude is that when he was in court, he said free speech or some shit like that, which is just like, that's just some bullshit slogan that they've all decided is going to be their sort of, meaningless cover phrase for why they want to go out in public dressed up like gladiators and shit and, and, and fight a bunch of weedy Antifa kids, which is really just what they want to do. And they need some sort of, you know, pale justification for it. So they just yell free speech, but it's just like a slogan and he's murdered two people and is going to jail for the rest of his life before it. Mm. He might as well have been yelling taste great, less filling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like th this, this, this coyness, this act of, as you, as you describe in the book, like the, this online culture of kind of like irony and memes and sarcasm and moral evasiveness, mm. which I freely admit, like, I, you know, I also take part in to a certain degree. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's a medium that anyone can pick up and use. But at the same time, it, I think it allows for quite vicious figures uh, such as these to set up a sort of... Uh, a paradigm in which they can wink and nod at, and talk out of both sides of their mouth at the same time and use self-awareness as a kind of shield from moral responsibility or consequences for their actions yeah, or beliefs. I, yeah, no, I, I think there's some weird sense that people have. Maybe it's because if you kind of grew up in the kind of like uh, Francis Fukuyama end of history thing, we have this kind of sense that like the past is completely consigned to history and that like nothing like, you know, the events of the past could ever happen again and that everything, everything in the future will just be mundane and that, and so therefore 
the kind of political um, ambitions that you describe are not ever going to really happen. Um, so maybe it, like the equivalent on the left, like not to do the horseshoe thing, but would be like lo- like kids going around with like hammer and sickle things all the time, and mm-hmm. like I mean, or 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 like Stalin like uh, images and stuff like that. I mean, are are there really that many Stalinists around? Like, no, you know. Um, I, think, I think the difference should be like. Uh, you know, like like kids who wear like a hammer and sickle or a chase shirt or like have an avatar of Lenin a, a, on Twitter or whatever. If you would just say to them like, oh, like, so you're a communist. Like, that's cool, right? They'd probably be like, yeah, I am a communist. And what of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas these, like, I think a lot of them, if you're like, if you call them a Nazi or a white supremacist, a lot of them balk at that. Or, or they say like, I'm only doing this because I've been called a Nazi so many times. Mm. But it gets absurd at the point where you're actually advocating the massive ethnic cleansing of America and Europe, but you're like, whoa, 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 I'm not a Nazi. Let's, let's, you know, hold, hold up, buddy. Well, that's the funny thing. Actually, the, the, a really weird thing is that sometimes some uh, people on the alt-right actually compare themselves to Lenin. Like Richard Spencer has compared himself to Lenin. And uh, I think um, Jared Taylor from American Renaissance used that as well. And I'm always thinking, why do you pick Lenin and not Hitler? Like, ju- like as a genuine question, because they're, they're like obviously much closer politically to, and, and, but they would say something like, that's an absurd comparison. But if you think about it, it's actually the, the, um, you know, the human loss of, of World War II would actually be smaller than what, would, what it would take to do the things that they're actually saying they want to do. So not just a white ethnostate in America, right, but a white empire. So it would be ethnically cleansing Russia, Europe, and America at the very least. Um, that would be way beyond anything that we've ever seen. So, um, you know, so it is completely absurd. But the thing, I, I suppose what I mean is that I don't know, I think that they, I think that a lot, like, okay, there's a serious, politically serious kind of a hardcore in there who know exactly what their goals are and everything. But we know that there are all these, like, young kind of idiots who, who it? It's not that they mean it or don't mean it. They're just sort of lost somewhere in between. They don't quite know. It's a, just like a sort of a, like a nihilistic and yeah, kind of yeah. adolescent impulse to. Well, yeah. I mean, you can tell that by how obsessed the word they are with being edgy. Like mm, for them, yeah. that's the ultimate thing to be. That's mm. the ultimate compliment is if you're truly edgy. But if you take politics seriously, that's the last thing you want to be. And certainly the last thing you want to celebrate. You want your ideas to be widely held. Yeah. You don't want to be marginal. But they, they fetishize that because, yeah, it's for a lot of them, I think it's essentially just a nihilistic uh, expression of, you know, whatever – Failed emotions are bubbling within them to just hurt others, uh, and they think they could do that online. But th- yeah, they have no real politics because if they did, they wouldn't be so happy about everyone thinking that they're pieces of shit. I mean, you could see a lot of these same guys doing the Ayn Rand thing a couple decades ago. Like, uh, like you could imagine mm. them just picking that up and mm. saying, like, "Well, I actually don't believe that capital or selfishness is so bad." And I, you know, are you triggered much? Is the kind of impulse that always drove that. But now there's something hotter on the market, and it's it's more, as Matt said, more edgy. And the the the, the <laughs> that the, it is white ethnostate is pretty yeah. edgy, <laughs> and, and the content is obviously just ratcheted up a lot more from what used to be what these types of people gravitated toward. And it's the internet is like the is what's driving this. It's what's intensifying it. It's what's metastasizing this disease. And 
a really interesting part of your book, oh, to actually get into it a little bit, is you open in the first chapter, like you open the introduction is like, take, you start right with the election of Obama and this moment of kind of genuine hope. I mean, and that's funny to say now, but mm. it was widely felt at the time. I don't think we should turn away from that, where people thought after eight years of the horrible George W. Bush administration, things are different now. Like, you know, maybe we've turned the corner and then sort of the fallout of that, the disappointment of that not happening. And then, but then also out of Occupy and the Arab Spring, there came this idea that uh, the internet was finally creating this kind of real political movement that was leaderless, that was spontaneous, that would empower individuals to become part of a social network. And as I think the phrase you said, like, the, what is it? The disgust, like bring the disgust, like oh, the, the network, the, dis- the, network. the disgust becomes the network, the disgust that we all have with big banks and entrenched political elites and our own powerlessness. The internet would be the and social networks would be the medium through which we could all come together and change the world and liberate ourselves. That was the idea. And what I love about your book is that it provides an ultimate Adam Curtis moment where the narration breaks in and then it just goes, but then a strange thing happened on the way to this new utopia. And what happened is that was created, but the exact dark mirror to that. And what it it did not empower the left at all. I think at best it's made people of good instincts quite passive and it's made people of the worst instincts incredibly emboldened. Mm. Yeah, no, I know. I, I'm probably, I've watched too much Adam Curtis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, because there is something kind of attractive about, about that type of uh, story in a sort of horrible way. But it's true. I mean, and one of the reasons I, I wanted to write about it was that when I first started looking at all this stuff years ago, a lot of the stuff that was being written about it at the time, um, particularly about the kind of more 4 chan end of things, was very celebratory and you know uh, to a point where I thought it's just I just don't there's something wrong with this picture you know and you know so the idea was almost like they didn't care about the actual content but it was more like the form so they would describe it as like rhizomatic and stuff like that and they would say like you know the you know the, these anonymous like completely chaotic leaderless like forums are producing this new type of politics and this is going to be the politi- politics of the future and we don't need organizations anymore and all that crap um and um i mean organizations is the the lack of organizations is exactly the problem yeah. you know <laughs> um but but yeah then it just you know and and because it was so kind of unconcerned with the actual kind of moral or philosophical or political core of the thing it basically other stuff just came in to fill that void do you guys remember the weave trial mm. well I was, yeah i mean he came out of occupy yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah but uh during the the trial there was like a large uh kind of element of seemingly progressive people trying to sort of canonize this person mm. uh and everyone always knew he was incredibly shady. Like, even they didn't know about the swastika tattoo. Well, he got that. They were later, like, right? "Oh, look, he's 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 so dynamic." And then mm. they were just, it was it was it was this like, perfect example of like, "Oh, well, his message. We don't really know what it is. It seems mm. kind of well. We'll just uh, the point is, you know, he's he's doing God's work." Or whatever. Yeah, and that was exactly the problem because I remember at the time, like people sharing like footage of him when he was still like connected with Occupy, um, you know, w- during or after the trial and everything, 
And uh, and I do remember thinking, but what exactly, like, can you put your finger on an idea that he has that you think is a good idea? Or yeah. like, what exactly is it that, other than like being anti-establishment and being kind of, you know, um, fr- like from this kind of leaderless internet world, I mean, what exactly is good about this, you know? Mm. Uh, so I was always really skeptical of that kind of politics. And I'm completely not surprised that all this horrible shit has, uh, has come in to kind of um, characterize it politically. Okay, so and like I, I was going to say, uh, another figure that sort of emerged from uh, Occupy and is now a complete alt-right media person is this, this person, Cassandra Fairbanks, mm. who I bring up because she was just in the news last week because she's suing a journalist, Emma Roller, suing her personally for a tweet where she described her and Mike, uh, Cernovich uh, at the at the White House giving the okay hand symbol and she and, you know given like the sort of thumbs up but the okay uh, and described it as a white supremacist hand gesture. Do you want to explain? Okay, well, I mean, like the idea is that like it's the okay hand gesture, and according to Chan, it's like their troll of the media is to get enough people to do it and get the media to report that it's a white nationalist hand gesture, even though it's a fairly common, you know, it's the okay, and that was something that everyone does. Cernovich and Cassandra Fairbanks did the photo, did the hand gesture together at a white, a photo taken at the White House. And again, it's this, this, this coyness, it's this wink and a nod, and the idea that if you are self-aware enough and be like, oh, no, no, this is actually a joke, we're, we're pulling one over on you to get you to freak out that we're white supremacists or white nationalists, even though everyone who's in on the joke is in some way a white supremacist or white nationalist, right? So she's suing Emma Roller for doing this. It's an absurd libel case. It, she can't possibly win it because there's no way to prove malicious intent. And there's a huge breadcrumb of her own tweets alluding to this as such. So like, or, 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 or like this whole, you know, like I said, this jokey wink and a nod thing. But again, it's like this idea like that, there are these sort of media people who have coasted along on this. And I don't like Cassandra Fairbanks. She supported Bernie too, but she's a completely amoral grifter who will attach herself to any audience. I think she's just aspiring media. Yes. And I think that's what some of these people are, particularly the ones that are quick to like disavow the horrible things that they actually believe in. Yeah. It's like, that's bad for the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a really important point that you make in the book, uh, you talk about the, the Gramscians of the, the alt light and that you're referring to the, like I said, the, the Cernoviches, the Gavin McGinnis, you know, these people who are, are media people who use this as part of their brand. Could you describe what could you describe what you mean by calling them Gramscians? Yeah, I mean I start with um the the French New Right and and basically the approach taken uh by the right uh the French New Right when they basically, you know, decided that you couldn't rely on like um a conservative silent majority anymore that the left had won the culture war to such an extent that it had actually changed the culture profoundly and therefore if you ever wanted to have political power you had to change the culture and the formal politics would follow um and so uh th- that's that was essentially their kind of model like the the Breitbart model and the alt light model and you know um i describe kind of um how they were actually very good at media stuff, you know, like people people didn't realize the extent of what they had built, like in terms of alternative media, like really, you know, well-funded mm-hmm. like channels, like YouTube channels, and, you know, they all had lots of Twitter followers, and, you know, they had these all these subscriber media things. Um, and um, 
So essentially it was about like moving the Overton window and like trying to break certain taboos, make it acceptable to say certain things in public around, about race and gender. And uh, and so then, you know, the political class would be able to, to, to move with them and, you know, it, w- it wouldn't be a career ending thing. Um, now, I, you know, the question is like, are, were they successful at that or not? Um, you know, Trump came along kind of, and I mean, he did that, right? Like he, 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 um, he was definitely breaking taboos and and saying things that would have been unacceptable in the public before that. But, um, but uh, what exactly the connection is or what direction things were going in, it's sort of almost impossible to say like who was influencing who and, uh, and stuff like that. But, but the, the general approach, uh, that Gramscian approach of putting culture before politics changing the culture in order to later change the formal politics. Like, that was their whole approach. But what, specifically, though, on the hand sign thing, I mean, honestly, like, by the time that the, the, the OK sign thing happened, and I could see it all happening because I follow all these people, and, you know, um, I actually just couldn't even look at it, like, because I, I just thought, I'm so sick of this. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I've seen this a thousand times. Like, you know, ha, 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 stupid liberal journalists don't get it. And I just think, no, sorry, if you, any anyone from pretty much anywhere in the political spectrum who is some kind of a basic moral compass can glance at this and get it. Like, it's not actually that complicated. I, I described it uh, to you as um, the uh, Sharon Stone's al- al- perfect murder alibi and basic instinct, which was, uh, why would I kill someone in an exact way I've wrote about in one of my novels? Yeah, I'd yeah, have yeah. to be crazy <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Down goes the ice pick. Well, the Gramscian thing is interesting because, I mean, it really is the strategy of losers, right? It, you, you decide to go after culture when you're so far from the reins of actual power mm. that it's really your only option. Uh, and so I, I think you're right to say that we're sort of in a situation where we can't really evaluate how effective it's been. It certainly has raised the, a lot of people's uh, profiles and, and gotten a lot of, you know, turds to uh, make money and, and show their face in public who might not otherwise have. But I mean, the degree to which you can credit it with anything like like Trump winning or something like that, I think is still is still really hard to quantify. Well, I think like we've definitely and and this is true of everyone, I think just the political cultural in general, we've definitely refocused everything on on culture and reclaiming the narrative and reclaiming the media. But, you know, the truth is the the media, I mean, they are right about one thing, is largely liberal, and yet we're still losing politically. So let them chase that dragon as far as as far as I'm concerned. You know, if they think getting a, you know, a, a whatever, a, more representation is going to actually give them <laughs> political power, let's give them their own little TV show. It can be closed circuit. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what it feels like watching them fight online between the alt-right and and the people who've decided to defeat them, you know, on the field of web battle is it does feel like we're at a place where like power basically happens without input from the public. (laughs) And so we're sort of left to have these fights online and over culture because everyone sort of has a subconscious understanding that they're not getting anywhere near the actual levers of power. Yeah. Which is what I kind of think 
supplements the nihilism that they have. Like, also, like, they're very young. So, like, it's like, you know, a 15-year-old being really into serial killers or something. Like, I don't think they get the We've gravity. We've all been through that phase. I think, I don't think they get, like, the gravity of, yeah, of this stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with it's that. It's like, they, yeah. they might think they're, like, being into metal or punk or something. You know, it's, yeah, it's like... That's the problem, though. That That's why it's very hard, because... There is clearly, you know, on the one hand, part of me just wants to say, you know, if you, just say what you think. And if they're identifying with a movement that explicitly has all these, like, you know, white nationalist like, goals, um, part of me thinks you should just treat them as uh, just earnest. Um, but but then I know that's also not true because I know that there are people who it is their serial killer phase. <laughs> I'd never heard of that, but um, no, it's totally a thing. <laughs> no, no, I, I know what you mean, uh, and yeah. So some of them don't get the gravity of it. Yeah, and can we insert that clip from The Simpsons where Lisa sees the nuke the whales poster? Yeah, and it's like, do you really believe that? <laughs> nuke the whales? You don't really believe that, do you? I don't know. Gotta nuke something. <laughs> Gotta nuke Gotta something. Nuke something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, an, an interesting thing uh, in describing the 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 alt light, right? And and Milo would be the the perfect example of this. He was the guy who ro- rose the highest and fell the quickest. And I think the thing that's important that you point out is that he like he did probably more than anyone in terms of ma- you know mainstreaming. I'm I'm using that in. Sort of ironically, I don't think he completely mainstreamed it, but introducing the concept of the alt-right into a kind of popular vernacular and flattering them in many media profiles and interviews while sort of declaiming them like, you know, or he's, he, I remember he, him saying that, oh, like, well, they're identity politics and I'm against identity politics while also describing them as like the, the coolest, most interesting new thing in politics. He made them feel cool because none of them have ever had a gay friend. <laughs> <laughs> but the loyalty shown to the, the serious people by figures like, let's say, Gavin McGinnis or Milo or Cernovich is not repaid at all it's a one-way street entirely. And like, for instance, when Milo's career imploded, he got no fucking love or loyalty or, or, and no one came to his defense out of any of these people who he had been caping for for the last two or three years, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, they have that don't punch to the right thing, you know. Um, but it also, yeah, it takes the form of uh, everyone sort of, they're like admiring people that are to the right of them. And that goes all the way to you know, Richard Spencer and people like that. I mean, that goes along. I mean, everybody's like that online, right? Because there is no solidarity because everybody's out for their own brand. You know, I mean, that's how you got the weird, we talked, you talked about it in the book, about how we got that weird competition among sort of the activist outrage entrepreneurs over who can have the most, you know, woke take on any given issue and and how that sort of pushed things into, into these uh, hysterical uh, realms of, of, of uh, call outs but it's the same thing on the right it's like everybody has to be the one farthest out so that everyone can sort of stand out from this pack and get whatever psychic or in some cases actual material benefits come from that yeah the online media economy incentivizes uh well it incentivizes bad writing first of all but it also incentivizes uh extremes and de-incentivizes nuance um and I think it has a lot to do with the actual medium of the internet. Yeah, and also though the the um, 
need that people have to differentiate themselves from everyone else through like edginess and things like that, you know. But it is a weird thing. I mean, if you if you look back, like one of the reasons I, I wanted to write the book was kind of in a way just like capturing a particular period. Um, you know, it's already kind of going out of date. Like as soon as you write anything about these cultures, it's going out of date. But but I think it's like a snapshot of what happened during that period. Um, and, you know, it's going to be very weird when people look back. Like, let's say if this really does get very serious, let's just imagine, and they actually have real influence and things continue to move to the right politically, um, historians will have to go back and say, well, people wanted to be edgy at the time. (laughs) (laughs) How will I explain this to my grandchildren? (laughs) Hey, that's a good explanation for, uh, you know, 1930s Germany, too. (laughs) Well, to get to the, the cutting part of that edge... Like in contrast to the sort of you know I think very cynical and shallow media people, the the core of people who are hardcore ideologically committed to I don't even know how to describe it like a what upset their main obsession is race and their main goal is to live in a white ethno state like and if you get far enough into this. That's always what you're going to get back to. And then also the ancillary, like, extreme patriarchal, like, you know, removing women's economic uh, agency or getting women out of the workplace. Actually, I don't know if it's ancillary. I kind of can't tell which came first, the the race or women. I I think the women stuff came first. Yeah, it did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But because but like race is like because like oh well the reason we don't have a woman is because of the hordes of browns or something. Yeah, but also it's the idea that Western white men have been emasculated by feminism, and so because they Western white men are so weakened by this emasculation, then like Islam can come in and like you know. Well, it's like, facile to say that they're all these guys are all like this because they can't get laid, but at a basic level they are like this because they can't get laid. <laughs> I mean, I would, yeah. I mean, like that's the that's the easy stereotype. Like, I mean, like the and like, the correct one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like uh, one of the other one of their other favorite things to do, as of recently, at least since the last time we talked, like a huge obsession. If you ever are unlucky enough to engage or even look at these kind of dialogues online, is one of the favorite things that they love to do. Like the like the Keck or Pepe. I don't even, again. I don't fucking care or know yeah, yeah, yeah. to specify between them. Is they love Swedish crime stats. Hmm. They love statistics about rape in Sweden. And one of their favorite things is this idea that Muslim immigrants uh, form rape gangs to attack Western white women mm. and that that and that western white men are basically letting it happen out of this misplaced sense of political correctness or virtue signaling or whatever super predators if you will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course whenever i see this i can't help but think that there's a certain amount of professional jealousy among these <laughs> okay. hardcore right wing movements yeah well like if well they, i mean that, that's what's so weird it's like uh, all these women in Sweden are getting raped. I mean, the, excluding the bitches who are making it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think they say rape doesn't exist except when it's done by <laughs> refugees. Basically. Yeah, yeah. And actually, yeah. do you know the the background of the Swedish uh, rape capital of Europe statistic? No. Uh, well, it came out later that some guy like basically just explained that what actually happened was that. Because Sweden had such a feminist uh, government and uh, and you know legal system, they actually expanded the definition of of sexual harassment and sexual assault, and so the figures appeared to rocket. And so it's so funny because it's exactly it, like if that was happening 
like you know and it was affecting like white guys on american campuses let's say duke just for instance yes exactly i mean that so they would be saying oh look feminists are just lying about rape and expanding the definition of rape but as soon as you know it's it's it it means that they can take it out on refugees then that's okay yeah it's like to this point about the reactionary sexual politics uh you, you talk about it as a central driving issue in one of the last chapters and you say Um, Perhaps even the central personal motivation behind the entire turn to the far right among young men. The sexual revolution that started the decline of lifelong marriage has produced great freedom from the shackles of loveless marriage and selfless duty to family for both men and women. But this ever-extended adolescence has also brought with it the rise of adult childlessness and a steep sexual hierarchy. Sexual patterns that have emerged as a result of the decline of monogamy have also seen a greater level of sexual choice for an elite of men and a growing celibacy among a large large male population at the bottom of the pecking order. And you talk about this kind of brutal hierarchy as being like, like it is an obsessed, obsessive idea among like, like it started with this pickup artist, uh, neo-masculine stuff, but it's also an obsessive idea of the alt-right. Like they, they love this beta alpha dichotomy. And one of the things of what little interactions I've ever had with these people, thank God, the thing that they most commonly hate us for is stealing their memes. <laughs> and the main meme that we're accused of stealing is the incel volcel dichotomy. Yeah. And I'd just like to say now on the show, I will happily credit you for creating a new ranking of male unfuckability. <laughs> yeah. I stole that one from you. I appropriated you. your culture. Guilty. I am sorry. <laughs> but like like they it's this weird idea that they want a kind of like a social welfare state for social relations between men and women. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they they're, they like the idea of, um, you know, essentially uh, an egalitarianism uh, for sexuality, but no, yeah. nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like that dynamic that you're talking about, it is a real one that mm. like that, that a more free market in human sexual relations between men and women there are there is going to be this a harsher mm. gradation that there it does going it does going to create this kind of steep hierarchy yeah and and actually you know honestly i don't know really what the answer to that is because the typical response is like oh well fuck them they can just jerk off and like whatever but uh I don't know. It, 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 that's but I, like that's creating a huge amount of human misery. It at is. The same time. It really is. And and uh, I honestly don't have an answer for well, that. You'd, as you'd a, cause more misery by making a woman fuck these guys, though. <laughs> I know. That's I know. I know. It's We're t- not <laughs> mad. I, I don't think anyone in the room is actually saying, "Well, maybe we should legislate pushing." No, no, obviously <laughs> not. But I think robots, honestly, are going to be what fixes this. Y- yeah, then well, maybe I think that's the answer. Perfecting fuckbots will solve this problem, and it really is I don't the only think way so either. I mean, it's sort of like I, how at this point we need geoengineering to solve global warming we need fuckbots to solve the the uh the pepe problem well, i think actually, the issue is that they're incredibly disaffected and you really don't need to not get laid to be a misogynist and even if they did get laid there would still be underlying problems well, right because then you look at well, the obviously, yeah thing. they're bad they're scumbags and they right. have a ho- horrifying entitlement as regards to the opposite sex yeah forget it but but I mean, sorry, maybe it, maybe it's something going on the stove. I just want to make oh, sure. Oh, shit, yes. Yeah. <laughs> just smell okay. that. Just hold on a second. We're <laughs> pausing. Uh, uh, ironic that we're actually gassing ourselves when we're talking about the alt-right now. <laughs> wow. But, uh, Amber has some Zyklon B in the oven. Yeah, I wanted to say something sooner, but... Well, I put the I always put the news first, so I, I didn't interrupt. 
you know, uh, perhaps a, a slightly easier solution would be um, cultivating a slightly less repellent personality. We've created a race of mutants, and, you know, now we have to figure out a way out of it, because I don't think this is just an American thing either. I think there's kind of a global youth right-wing turn and you man you i know it seems like it's just on the internet but you got to keep an eye on that shit because it will become a problem real quick we be open this discussion talking about how it absolutely is a problem and people are being you know murdered uh largely because of it and you know another uh, another parallel is like they do say you know um basically that the refugees coming over are all young men and that they're going to be really dangerous because they're these celibate, like, unmarried mm. young men. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, well, the, the, uh, the murders that have happened since, since Trump's election, it reminds me of uh, what we said uh, on, in the inauguration show where we talked about how these guys all have this weird belief that because Trump's president, they're all going to get respect now from their lessers. Right. And right. we talked about how that was there's going to be a huge reality check when they find out nobody is actually feeling like they need to fucking respect him just because Trump somehow won. And I think we're seeing with a lot of these is people, these guys basically lashing out because they don't live in a different world the way that they thought they would once Trump was sworn But in. what I'm thinking about is, you know, as these people are finding out their, you know, their their revolution didn't come you know, with Trump, they're still sad, they're still miserable. What are they doing? I mean, some of them are, are feel very, I know, like disappointed by Trump and his, his triple parentheses cabinet. <laughs> and, and, um, and their lives are still shitty. And are, you know, obviously, it's horrible to hear about these, um, you know, the, the sort of online culture uh, producing, or encouraging like psychotic singular acts of violence. But like these people are trying to like make think tanks, at least their media classes. There are, I think it's, there is a risk of them becoming politically powerful and professionalizing, especially when, you know, the, the liberal mainstream media has done such a poor job at being able to articulate exactly what the actual threat is. Absolutely. And I actually, I want, and I wanted to ask you about that, Angela, like specifically a, a figure like Richard Spencer, like he does have a think tank now. And I remember we were talking uh, just the other day about the, the failure of the media to deal with a figure like this, like, like the failure to pin him down or ask him any kind of question that would reveal his worldview, because it seems like, They've settled on the fact that he's dapper, mm. uh, that you know he doesn't look like a typical uh, you know ghoul. Yeah, because Nazis never wore suits or uniforms. <laughs> he has a finely tailored Hugo Boss suit, unlike any <laughs> Nazi that's ever existed. But uh, but further than that, like they sort of in, in interviews and stuff. Like I, the, you brought up the one with Vice. He was just on a show with Camus Bell, or I saw him talking with Charles. Barkley, mm. I, I, I didn't even, <laughs> I did not even click play. I could not subject myself to that. I know what I'm doing right after <laughs> this recording. What ethno state? Oh man, terrible. I can't terrible. But okay, so like the, the media thing, like, like when they talk to a figure like that, they'll be like, "You don't actually believe all these things, right?" And then he just goes, "Yes, I absolutely do." And they just sort of go, "What?" Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And they never get any further than that. And by doing that, they sort of they are, are granting him the status of being edgy and the outsider and things like that. But like the point you brought up is that nobody you we alluded to this at the beginning of the show, is that nobody actually 
asked him about the the many like on the record statements he has about what his central goal is, which is creating a white, not just a white ethno state in Montana and then America, but this pan Northern Hemisphere white like empire which stretches from and you look at the recent french elections there was a legitimate fear there that like they're moving in that direction and again who had a huge chunk of the 18 to i think 24 vote more than ever it's more because everyone else associates you know the national front with vichy but like there was a huge youth turnout for like yes we like le pen that's the france we want so i don't think i think they could professionalize or at least you know, let's keep a well, fucking eye on that yeah keep an eye on it but like to the point about the the, the goal about the, this ethno state which they are serious about and like the, this is this is what it's all driving towards the question is for like anyone who uh someone like richard spencer who's like the sort of intellectual leader of this or any of the people online who pretend to like him or are part of this sort of weird nihilistic like you know play acting or whatever is how committed are you to this goal and how would you achieve it spencer himself i believe has said something along the lines of voluntary deportation like the mitt romney line about you know they would they would deport themselves deport self-deport yeah Yeah. um but they can't possibly believe that yeah i know they 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 i'm sure they don't uh, the um i mean the thing is um you're right they're they're never asked these questions they're never asked challenging questions and you know i don't think i've seen a single good interview with richard spencer i i, I haven't seen a single tough interview you know uh it's all been of this of the sort that you describe do you really you can't possibly believe that yes i do uh and he always comes at, back then with something even worse than than what they asked him if you know if he really believes that um you know, and if you're a socialist, for example, you're constantly, even if you like are arguing for those minor like, you know, reforms or like, you know, something like that, you're always told like, you know, that's totally impractical. That could never happen. You know, even if like that exact thing that you're talking about has happened in some other country and has been applied brilliantly, you're always, always told that's impractical, can't happen. Oh, and if you go any further, it's going to end in a big bloodbath. Venezuela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And these people are just like let off the hook. Uh, I never asked, I've never seen them once asked a specific question. How do you plan to implement that? What do you plan to do? So I would say, you know, uh, if somebody's interviewing them, what? Okay, here's some of the things you could ask them. First of all, you want to restore patriarchy, right? So you have to get the women out of the workforce. How do you plan to reduce the workforce by half and remain a geopolitical dominant <laughs> power in the world? That's question number one. And just like you know, and and like Spencer's whole. Uh, style of of evading these things is that whenever he's asked a really difficult question he always gets extremely dismissive and kind of like you know shitty and uh, (laughs) it's like there's definitely a tone that comes into his voice when people ask him a specific question for example I remember seeing him being asked uh, a sort of ask me anything type of thing of of fan like with fans and they one of them asked him if he had read Camille Paglia, you know? Um, <laughs> and actually, there are things in Camille Paglia that I could see them, you know, I could see why some alt-right people well, like her. I love you know? a Madonna, number one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is all about gender, like gendered patterns of civilizational decline, you know? Yeah. Um, so so that it would be, if, if I was alt-right, I would be thinking that was very interesting. And But he was completely dismissive of it, so he obviously hasn't read her, you know? Uh, but anyway, the point being, uh, first of all, no 
know that when the scoffing and the that particular tone happens, it doesn't mean that you've actually asked anything wrong. You've probably asked exactly the right question. Uh, ask them the practical questions. How are you going to do this? So that was the gender one for a start. The other one would be, um, we know from just looking at different conflicts around the world, from Palestine to Northern Ireland, people don't just leave. Uh, and in fact, even on these tiny little plots yeah, these of land, are tiny, yeah, tiny yeah, yeah, yeah. area, like, like countries. Yeah, like, you want to do that on a like a massive scale, like the size of Rhode Island, basically. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And you know, um, uh, and people will endure all kinds of horrible things, and they'll live in a state of constant war just to not leave because it means so much to people. Uh, and the idea that everyone would just get up and leave—I mean, where on earth would they go? You know, uh, and it's one thing for, you know, if he wants to, if he wants to, if he's talking about, like, say, illegal immigration and then maybe immigrants who are, who are, were not born in America. But, but then when he, you know, it's also going to have to mean people who are here since the slave trade, like, and it's also going to mean, like, basically everyone who isn't white who lives in America. Like, that would be, there is simply no way of doing that without genocide. And I would love to hear their explanation for how they would do it without genocide. Is that you think that's their, their awareness of that is why many of them are so obsessed with the idea of white genocide of this kind of passive displacement of like white people of this idea that like that like that white birth rates naturally declining in wealthier countries is in and of itself a, a form of genocide. Yeah, I know, and and they think also that white women making the completely voluntary choice to have children with a non-white man is white genocide, you know? It's just so ridiculous, you know? I mean... Uh, excuse me, but uh, cultural Marxism much? Frankfurt School? They're being brainwashed. It's not, it's not of their own volition. Porn, Jewish-produced porn has brainwashed them into thinking that big dicks are more pleasurable to have sex with. Which... They literally believe that, by the way. That's not... Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. Um, here's the thing that we've brought up before, though, concerning the media, and maybe Spencer in particular. I think T brought it up when we had him on the show, and Amber's brought it up, is that Spencer in particular knows, and I think he disseminates uh, this these skills to the, the chuds and the 15-year-olds, is he knows how to play liberals and, and, and liberals in the media. And he's, he's clearly studied very closely the vernacular and the way to talk and the way to turn something around on you. Mm. Could you maybe talk a bit about like the fluency with which they they're, they're able to um, vex all these you know people in, in the mainstream media who fail to to ask these types of questions or who stumble suddenly yeah well he does say very very knowingly say things like we want a safe space for white people yeah. and, kind of um, and so he knows exactly what he's doing there um, but in terms of of how they kind of play uh, liberal media I mean the thing is you know, the people who have interviewed him, you know, are not like, are, are not people who have spent the time that he has, you know, thinking about political philosophy and about all these kind of, I guess, genetic and, you know, other kinds of like uh, questions. And so, you know, even if you don't, you know, whatever, he obviously what he's proposing is horrible and that sort of goes without saying. But, you know, you have to admit, like, he is good at what he's doing. He's smart. He's, he's, um, he's... He plays him like a fiddle. Yeah, he exactly. He comes out on no, top he, in he, many of these interviews, as you said. Yeah, he does. But the thing is, like, I don't want to insult the people who've interviewed him, but, like, they're not people who are used to having, 
conversations about big political ideas. You know what I mean? And and like, and none of the people who have interviewed him have been people who are used to having those conversations. So he's able to, um, yeah, kind of make light light work of them. But so and another problem though is that um, there are questions that are you know difficult to talk about that are somewhat taboo and you know the nobody in the mainstream is talking about them as a result but like for example when they say you know um if you change the demographics of the western world to the extent that they are being changed now and if that pattern continues and they've worked it all out here's the date when whites will become a minority you know and so on when skynet becomes self-aware <laughs> but you know the thing is that will profoundly change the western world like and you know the the traditional cultures of europe you know are going to die out probably they'll probably be there in some sort of like you know uh, like shops that tourists go to or whatever but they will effectively die out and like, what is the what is the kind of like liberal answer to that? They really don't have one. Is their answer, yeah, and that'll be fine, and who cares? Everyone's just sort of wandering around. It's all meaningless. Like that's essentially what they're saying. And even on the the immigration issue, like their answer to it is so bad. It's essentially this kind of technocratic thing of like, well, growth figures go up if you if you bring in lots of immigrants who you know because they've because they've come in at a certain age, you didn't have to educate them. They've been educated in their own country, so you bring them in get really cheap labor and then you get some growth and the the because of the the birth rates the um you won't have that like inverted pyramid of the a lot of older people and 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 so on so like there are all these you know really difficult questions and um the taboos around them are there for a reason and i'm actually pretty you know, I, I believe in taboos. I think they should be there. So I don't think we, I don't, I'm not saying this in a way that like, oh, we should be able to talk about immigration and race however we want or something like that. No, I don't think that. But I do think that um, we're, the taboos mean that a lot of people are very out of practice at even talking about these ideas. So where do we hear a case for uh, free movement that is something other than that crappy kind of... Uh, it'll help the economy. It'll help the economy, right. technocratic yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, that's half of what, like, also liberals use for any kind of social democratic welfare, like, reform. Yeah. They're like, well, you know, if, if we give... Um, if we give women maternity leave, actually it will help the economy. It's like, you need to get back to talking about what is humane and what is inhumane. Yeah. Uh, Angela, like... Uh, in this book, like it's a, it's a concise history, like you said. You take it's about eight years from mm. the election of Obama to the election of Trump, right? And 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 this weird online culture. But in it, you also give a very concise history, if you read it, of the like intellectual currents of the postmodern left. That's very interesting because you, you again we've talked about this how adeptly they have been picked up and utilized by the alt right. And one of them is this idea about transgression and transgressing like moral and societal boundaries which was of course a staple of the new left and like you, you date it back to the Marquis de Sade but like there's a long tradition here and it's always a double-edged sword right when like this idea that uh to just completely abandon you know like a, like a moral argument for anything it's not always going to redound to your favor because like the best argument for income redistribution is a moral one Right. So like the, the all right are gleefully amoral. They love like they hate like, you know, like you talk about in the early days of these forums, like moral fag or care fag was like the worst uh, insult that you could possibly uh, give to someone. Yeah. So basically, when I was looking at the way that people were responding to these guys early on, uh, one of the things that was really irritating was that people um, 
journalists and so on, like the vice woman, I, I mean, I don't want to single her out too much, but that was quite bad. <laughs> and the, the vice woman who interviewed uh, uh, Richard Spencer. But, you know, there is this tendency to kind of almost like um, show a certain reverence for these kind of countercultural type of styles that they've picked up. So I remember uh, that woman who re interviewed Richard Spencer saying something about, you know, trolling the trolls or like, you know, I can troll better than you. And it was, it was so stupid. Like, but, you know, uh, it, that that is the thing. Like the 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 real problem with them is a moral problem. Like they don't feel bad uh, about it. It's like it is like talking to someone who doesn't know that it's wrong to like kick someone in the head or something. And you have to actually rationally explain it. Like mm, they, they yeah. simply, they, they, they don't feel uh, that anything they're doing is wrong. And it's, and it's, and this is why they're Nietzschean as well. Like, you know, uh, it's liberation. They, it's uh, yeah, emancipation exactly. for them. It, well, yeah. And it is liberation from having to feel guilt, you know, and they would say that like, you know, I mean, it's liberation from having to feel white guilt, I suppose, but any guilt whatsoever. And like all, I mean, I, I do think like that there is a, a moral core to socialism or any kind of egalitarian politics like th these are moral questions no matter how much of a materialist you think you are you know you're motivated by a moral question basically you know mm -hmm. and th I, I think maybe that's a better way you know rather than trying to like be more edgy than them or any of this stuff just say no i'm sorry that's adolescent nonsense like you know and you know the amoral stuff is just um you know you have to come back with them to them with kind of moral questions i think well this goes on to like I, the the question I had reading reading the book that that sort of outside of the book itself like you know like ending with the election of Trump and like the question I have is like where are we at now and you, you talked about there's a protean quality to this and that like it's constantly mutating and evolve it's evolving at an incredible rate <laughs> it's like the fifth <laughs> element or something but um the question is like what like wh what do you see becoming of the Pepe's, of of the Kecks, of of these these I, I, like again, I don't particularly care. I'm just going to call Virgins. them Nazis. Uh, what do you see becoming of these of these kids? Like the question I have is, they, Trump is their guy. He's in charge now. But like now they now they're sort of have to play defense in the way that like either they can be really disappointed by Trump and continue to just get even more embittered and withdraw further and further and further into this kind of like right-wing ethno-nationalist core and give up on mainstream politics entirely? Or did they just become conventional Republicans? Like, for instance, I saw the Paul Twitter account tweeting something very angrily about Kathy Griffin's decapitated Trump head stunt to be mm. like, this would, you know, imagine if someone did this to Obama and it was just like, well, <laughs> you'd be laughing either way. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Th this is like, as you described in the book, a, a culture that came out of like trying to post the goriest, nastiest thing. I believe you described one of the early forums as the, uh, hentai death rape factory or something like that <laughs> so but, but now they're starting to some of them at least are starting to sound like your republican aunt on mm. facebook mm. so the question is do they become more and more like conventional republicans or do conventional republicans just become more and more like them mm. yeah it's such a hard question i mean i really don't know is the answer um i've I think I've noticed, I mean, I have blocked a lot of them, so maybe that <laughs> might be it, but I, th I, I feel like I've noticed a decline in, and it may be because they've all been kicked off of the mainstream platforms, I don't know, a decline in the in the completely, in, in the, the stuff that's just trolling. So the, the totally adolescent, like, name-calling kind of stuff. 
Um, They're all care fags now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that, maybe that they just, got laid. Maybe that that Gamergate sort of thing, like of just just pure harassment with no real, right. you know, explicit like political message, seems to have declined. I, I'm not sure I'm right about that, but it, it, that's my that's what I think. Um, and um, on on the kind of more formal politics, I mean. Obviously, Trump has disappointed them, you know, uh, but every president, you know, disappoints sure. the, their race. So, um, well, not that they're his base, but like, um, you know, over Syria and various other things. Um, but uh, there's no question that the the realm of like acceptable thought has moved to the right in quite a significant way. I mean, even, for example, like I think taboos around anti-Semitism have been pretty much broken you know, in a really major way. And they, they've been there since the end of World War II. Like, so it's no small thing, you know. And and also the problems that have created these guys have not gone away. Um, or the, you know, the, the, the factors, I don't want to say, say they're problems exactly, but so all the things that are there that created them are still there. And so they're not going to be satisfied. Um, I mean, if you listen to them speaking to each other, I mean, they do say things like, and I don't know if this is bullshit or not, but it is what they say, that like we're contacted by people, like pretty elite people sometimes, like who say, I don't want my name mentioned, but I'm going to give you money and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And they would be like, you know, in, in law or whatever. And they... And what they say is like, and that's good because when like, you know, the time comes, we, we need all these people to be in these different institutions. Um, again, maybe they're maybe they're like um, just pretending and uh, this like faking this overconfidence. But it's kind of somewhat plausible to me. It's not just the freaky basement, you know, shooter guys, you know, that I, I actually do believe that there are people like this in elite, uh, you know, institutions and stuff like that. So. I don't think this is going yeah, anywhere. Yeah, we had an election recently. Uh. <laughs> there certainly are more now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, I mean, like to them, a future in which you know, th as they see it, like you know, women have all this power, men are emasculated, the 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 you know faces around there are fewer white faces around them, you know, or whatever. I mean, and they feel that they've lost some kind of heritage. Um, to them, that is a completely unbearable future. Like they, they simply cannot let that happen. Well, there seems to be, a, and I know that there's different. There's a taxonomy here that you know it's, yeah. it's it's tough to group them all together. But there's a contradiction between that nihilistic, um, devil may care trolling yeah. that you mentioned before, which, if you're right, has subsided. This this is interesting. There's a contradiction between that and them caring about white birth rates and yeah, about feminism. Yeah, I think they, they want to have a, a utopian project, yeah. mm -hmm. but you can't be a nihilist. I'm sure some of them don't, and that they really are just like, yeah, this is the most edgy thing right now, and I'll do that. But some of them try to do both, and mm -hmm. you can't. you got to care about about the white birth rates. You can't be just yeah. a, a Kekistan bomb thrower. Yeah. And, and even worse, though, from the point of view of maintaining that energy, that transgressive energy, it's, it's, it's bad enough to try to have to care about things like white birth rates or you know, the white project, but even more grubby and, and compromising is having to defend like a fucking Republican political administration, <laughs> yeah. like having to carry water for Donald Trump and get offended when somebody insults him. I mean, that that is a total undermining of their entire ethos. To Will's question, do you have a sense of how much of them 
to begin with even really cared for Trump and then how many have fallen off. I mean, I know it's a tough thing to to quantify any of this, but was Trump just for the normie alt-right guy or the the alt-light as no, you said they, they were all like they they all were behind him completely like the the whole spectrum of them were um i mean uh god richard spencer gave this talk uh to i you know like his fellow travelers i can't remember which organization it was and it was it had this uh, like amazingly pretentious title what was it the the napoleon of the current year <laughs> okay <laughs> by the way Angela, was, yeah. you had a you had a great line about richard spencer in the book where you say uh, his writing style is that of someone who puts on surgical gloves before leaving the house <laughs> <laughs> it's a very howard hughes kind of uh... yeah it, it that is it though and i, I think i was saying well, to you I mean, like i think i think spencer's right about that napoleon was history on horseback trump is history on a hover round <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean that that was what he was referring to Trump as, you know, uh, the Napoleon of the current year. But, uh, but to, to Amber's point about like winning culture versus winning politics, like Trump is certainly blown away, like culturally, what you can do mm. as a president or running for president. Mm. But politically, he's governing like any other fucking Republican. Yeah, that's would. that's interesting. Definitely, I mean. Um, you know, and that that's kind of why they're all turning against him. Um, he, I mean, he's been a disappointment on the, and actually the early days, if you, if you remember, like the, the Muslim ban and stuff like that, it really did look like he was going to, yeah. he was going to do even more than he yeah. said he would, you know? Um, but yeah, he has kind of more or less become like every other president. They don't even talk about him as much anymore because he, because he's not like, I mean, they loved the fact that he, he won and they only want underdogs. He's yeah, not transgressive true, now. True. You yeah, can't be punk yeah. rock when you're fucking president. But, but to go back to your question about where kind of where they'll end up and stuff like that. Because you're looking at this online world where everyone is under pseudonym um, and, you know, we, we don't uh, and you don't know if you're looking at someone who's got 10 accounts and, you know, there's yeah. always this question mark over, um, you know, I, I think it's um, it's not worthwhile to try to extrapolate from exact numbers you mm-hmm. know to, to to like get a number and then say well here that's right. going to be their influence right like i think that um the more serious uh people in that movement uh and and the the, the kind of the trolly nihilistic guys will either mature and be embarrassed about it years later and never took it seriously in the first place i mean they're definitely real like mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of them but even if that happens with all of them and all you're left with is that small politically serious core, I mean, we know like small groups of people have changed, changed history all the time. Like, you know, and as I say, there are forces at work that have, you know, kind of that have motivated them that haven't gone away. So, you know, every time from now on, there's going to be, you know, some kind of Islamist um, massacre uh, there has to be a better response than oh let you know, you know we uh, hope and love and we can all just hold like mm-hmm. light candles and this crap like you know people know that this is this is not a good response, uh, and and you know so w- what we have to be thinking about I think their influence could be huge honestly, mm. and the only thing that will stop their influence from being huge is if there is a serious political project that actually that actually offers alternatives and articulates them at these moments, you know? So, for example, um, uh, you know, a lot of them were saying uh, after um, 
the the uh, elections in the UK, a lot of them were saying like Jeremy Corbyn is this like soft on Islamism. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if, if he gets into power, uh, Britain will be completely mm-hmm. Islamified and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was actually proposing it, not selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we should be saying to them. Hang on. So you're saying yeah. that that uh, Theresa May's the like patriot or whatever, but yeah. he's the one who wanted to renationalize British Rail. You know, yeah. you're saying that like he, you know, is some kind of a, you know, would have been soft on on the Islamist movement, but he's the only one who is actually proposing something concrete. While Trump is fucking doing the sword dance, exactly. In Saudi Arabia, yeah, yeah, yeah. In so we, we have to keep saying that to them, like, you know, the people who are actually proposing something that might actually improve these situations are people on the left. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Trump is doing the sword dance and <laughs> Theresa May is, you know, they're all selling Corbyn, arms to Saudi Arabia. Of course, against the Libyan intervention as well, which yes. we saw, I mean, this was, the, uh, we just talked about before, was direct blowback. Yeah, I was just about yeah. to bring Corbyn up, uh, just just as you were, because on the little um, snippet we did, the, the special one in the middle of the week before the election, Matt said... One of the reasons why Corbyn is more inspiring uh, than, than than Bernie Sanders, for example, is he doesn't shy away from a full left-wing articulation of foreign policy. Mm. And whereas Bernie had to just kind of change the subject every time, well, what would you do about terror and what would you do about war? You know, he had to kind of just talk about the King of Jordan and talk about allies in the region. Corbyn said, stop invading countries, mm. stop giving arms to Saudi Arabia. And that full-throated answer is a lot more threatening to people like this because mm. then they have to respond to it. Then, as you said, the kind of kumbaya answer that doesn't isn't an answer. Uh, Angela, you've said that 4chan could not exist without Tumblr. Um, and I think we'd agree that sort of the existence or the, the, the slimy birth of the alt-right is um, the result of a, a sort of long history of... of failure of the sort of broad left, meaning sort of like liberals as well. Um, How do you think those things work together? Okay, well, so on the level of like, if you were a teenager, right, during the period that, and you're on either side of this, like, you know, the the, the very, um, the very, the young kind of teenage, like version of this culture war, uh, um, then you would see them constantly referring to each other. Uh, as examples of how bad the rest of, you know, society is. So, for example, they would, um, you know, screen grab some, like, Tumblr person who, you know, like, made up a sort of crazy gender that they were going to identify as, or, like, you know, were just, like, you know, in some way, like, stereotypically um, social justice warrior E, And they would say... The, the people on the right on these kind of reactionary forums would say, you know, this is what the future will look like, basically. You know, everyone is going to be like this in the future. And, you know, this is what the, this is like. Everything's going to hell and Western society is falling apart and so on. Um, and uh, and then on the other side, they would do the same. So they would they would like show examples in these kind of reactionary forums and they would say, you know, here is the proof that, you know, the whole society is racist and misogynist and, you know, filled with these reactionary ideas. It's like an online arms race. Yeah, so, I mean, they were, like, like completely mutually reinforcing in that way. So that was really my point there. But also, even aside from what you might conclude, it was worth just documenting it as a thing, you know, because if, if you were on those forums at that time, that's what would have been in your... You know, you wouldn't have been really... 
um, if you were a teenager, you would have been maybe thinking very seriously about formal politics. It would have been all that cultural politics stuff. Mm. Um, but then, you know, there is that that's uh, uh, the sort of lowest like layer of this stuff. Right. But then you also have, um, you know, in terms of, of, you know, where it's not that I'm it's not that I'm blaming the the left kind of versions of this stuff, but but they were significant, you know, um, and, um, you know, on another level, we'll say within the left itself, like this is something that the right often doesn't sort of uh, know, uh, but that, you know, there were huge kind of cultural battles that took place online in many cases uh, on the left itself. And particularly, I think it was probably nastiest on the British left, mm. which is why I mentioned Mark Fisher. Um, and I think it's the the world that he kind of came out of uh, when he wrote that um, Exiting the Vampire Castle piece. Uh, where uh, the, the the culture of the left kind of degenerated into this just unbelievably nasty space. I mean, people say, "Oh, that's just the internet," and you know, but but really, it was it was um, you know, I wanted to document it so that people would not forget quite how bad it was. Mm. You know, uh, and you know, the 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 total uh, purging and character assassinating and like just anyone who went off message was just like had to be rocketed into outer space, like you know, um, uh, and. So that also produced a real intellectual decline on the left, which made it then less able to cope with this, you know, this kind of um, almost like vanguard, like far right stuff, you know. And I um, think maybe it was made it more difficult to recruit. I mean, if you're mm. 15 and on the Internet, you can find a bunch of people making jokes and having fun or mm -hmm. you can look at a bunch of furious, <laughs> like suspicious, yeah, paranoid yeah. You know, left and liberal people ripping each other's throats out. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. No, it definitely made the left really unattractive for younger mm. people in particular. And it also, you know, it it felt like I'm sure that if you were a bit younger than I am, you know, and you, you know, you looked at the left and you didn't know much about the history of the left or the more serious left, I suppose, the organized left. And like this was your introduction to politics, you know. Um, the right would would have at that time looked like the more fun space and maybe a space where you could you could actually kind of openly discuss ideas. Uh, whereas the the spaces on the on the left or the cultural left or postmodern left, whatever you want to call it, uh, were very much ones where if you put a foot wrong, it could mm. like destroy your life, mm. kind of you know. Um, so it's not you know. So I mean, and and those younger people who are now whatever five or so years older you know, that was the political, that was the kind of place where they formed their politics. It's like, you know, you come to the cool clubhouse and there's like cigarettes and skateboarding and they're like, hey, it's cool. Everyone can hang out here and have fun. The only thing you can't do is have a girlfriend who's one-eighth Jewish. It's the only <laughs> landmine you must <laughs> avoid. <laughs> also, subsidize sex bots. <laughs> yeah, okay, so this is, a, this is a, our, our plan. Subsidize sex bots is number one. Uh, <laughs> articulate uh, case <laughs> for uh, you know uh, not uh, deporting everyone to. We need yeah. a Manhattan Project. Liberal for waifu and virtual reality sex. <laughs> Feel good liberalism cannot defeat the right. No. Okay. Only an actual socialist left position and sex bots can defeat the right. <laughs> Angela Nagel, it was so nice to talk to you. The book is Kill All Normies. I'd like to give it a huge plug. It's really, really good and interesting. And if like, it, it's a way of understanding like the dark side of, of the web without, you, you've done the hard work of fully reading and engaging, but I'd also like just to say for fans of the show, 
on the first page, you will see a blurb from our own Amber <laughs> Ali Frost. That's and in right, the introduction, yeah. <laughs> you give a full page treatment to our own Matt Christman's analysis of the Harambe meme <laughs> phenomenon. I got to tell you guys, it's a really good book. <laughs> so definitely go out, buy early and often, Kill All Normies by Angela Nagel. Angela, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.